Hello and welcome to a new episode of our DeFi Chain Tech Talk. In this format, we will present you the background of what's happening behind the scene. The core developers shows what's happening there on the development side, what are the next big things happening on DeFi Chain. And um, today I'm happy that the focus will be on DeFi MetaChain, the next big thing on DeFi Chain. But before we start, please give us a like. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel that you don't miss this show in future. And um, yeah, feel free to comment later on. And also now in the live chat, uh, we try to answer all your questions. But then we should directly jump into the topic. Uh, today I have three guests here. Yusin, um, you will give us an introduction to them and also the agenda of what's on this show today. Hey everyone, thanks, thanks Dizzy, thanks for hosting us. Good to see you all, uh, you all again. It's been uh, been quite a while from the last one, and a lot of development has, has happened. And uh, with myself today, uh, I have um, Fusing. Uh, I mean, he, we haven't seen him for a while now because he's been busy working on DeFi Meta Chain. And today he's going to be sharing about the technicals on DeFi Meta Chain. Uh, we've been getting a lot of questions on how uh, EVM is going to work on the native side and Fusing is going to get very, very deep in the tech side on how that is all working and how that is safe. The key thing that a lot of people are just asking about, how, how, can it, how can we be sure that it, it is safe? So Fusing will answer all of that. Uh, so if you have any questions there, uh, we'll be happy to, to, to answer that. And uh, as well, along with us today, we have uh, Yuning. I think the first time that he's getting on the stream. Uh, Yuning is a, a product manager that's heading the birthday uh, birthday research part. So he's been he's the one that put up the CFP uh, on the hackathon launch pad uh, and and all of the great stuff that's going to happen on the on the DeFi chain and DeFi beta chain side. So he will be sharing a lot on the on what's going. Um, uh, what, what, what's going to look like on the hackathon, what's going to look like on the launch pad, on launch pool, what it means for all of us, what it means for all DeFi chain. Uh, I think that's going to be really exciting. And for myself, uh, I'm going to be talking about ERC20 bridge on how we intend to do that and how we intend to implement, implement it with all this bridge hacks and all that uh, in a way that we can do it in a way that's uh, really safe and also increase the usability on DeFi chain side. Cool. Yep. Uh, Cool. Yeah. Great. That, uh, um, interesting topics. Yeah. Everything towards the future. Yeah. Uh, new things happening on DeFi chain. And then I would say jump into the hot topic of technical backgrounds uh, on DeFi meta chain. So Fushing, you will present. Just let me show your screen and then you can start. Okay. So DeFi meta chain. Uh, short for DMC, or you can look at it as an EVM. So, so when I was preparing the slides, I realized uh, this is very different from what I usually present. It's all words. It's all very technical, and there's very little images to even talk about like what it means. So do bear with me. So uh, normally I try to make this uh, interesting, but I, I find it very difficult to make technical talks interesting because they are very technical. So yeah. So a little bit about like uh, the format of this uh showcase or like talking about how the technical looks like uh just a bit of recap first so this is part of the dfip 2111b so which is the vote of confidence that allows us to build the evm support so started as a research uh, most of the research was trying to understand how 
a lot of the EVM was deployed uh, into the blockchain ecosystem. I think that's very important that we wanted to do it different from how it was done. A lot of the projects that you see today that have the various flaws of the various uh, shortcomings are all um, clones of a uh, GAF, if you get what I mean. It's pretty much just uh, running EVM or running uh, Ethereum chain and just brand it as a different chain. But I think the economics will be very different. And if you just brand this different chain, it will not make any sense or you will not introduce anything new or introduce any new possibility. I think when a native chain, uh, DeFi native chain was, uh, native DeFi was created, it changes how blockchains uh, could be designed and how DeFi protocols can be different from the EVM chain. So this uh, undertaking has to allow that, allow us to stretch the definition of what is native DeFi or effectively what is DeFi. Yeah. So uh, there is this uh, presentation has its uh, URL below. You can use this URL to uh, look at what I'm specifically talking about. So uh, we, as we develop the meta native chain, we are actively documenting how we are developing it. So please, uh, if you are very curious about the in-depth documentation, or if you want more documentation, you can refer to this site and to look at how uh, each of it is structured. So with each likes, there will be a new section that uh, is about that, that piece of content. Yeah. So to, to recap a bit first, this is a two-phase project. So the first phase, which is where we are today, is about the inception, about introducing smart contract capability through a turning complete environment. So different from what native DeFi is, which is non-Turing complete. So this is introducing Turing complete to complement the non-Turing complete part. So for fast-paced innovation. So we want both native and both uh, non-native to exist uh, together. So what it means uh, for compatibility sake is your Ether.js client, your Web3 clients are compatible on day one. So like you can use MetaMask uh, directly or any other compliance uh, applications. So EVM alongside native DeFi. So the phase two is what uh, mostly take out a lot of resources. Uh, we are building on phase one. Well, when we build on phase one, we need to have a foresight of how the phase two will look like because phase two is about embracing uh, multi-chain future. So that's about cross-chain, about extendability. So we can't ever make the, we can't ever incept something that cannot iterate on. So it's very important to build it uh, the phase one with modularity to allow for connectivity and automation that will to come uh, in the future. Yeah, so a little bit of like, what I'm going to talk about today, I'm very going to go very technical and talk about the meta chain consensus of basically how uh, the logic will works. Then uh, like how are we going to uh, make it safe? And what is the, what you mean, what, what does it mean to be consensus like? And well, specifically, how are we going to deal with the tokens on MetaChain and how are we going to bridge the tokens? Yeah. So, MetaChain consensus. So, for the purpose of describing DeFi chain consensus at play, we use two definitions here. So, you can think of native, change, native chain as the UTXO Bitcoin based chain, while MetaChain refers to the EVM based chain. So, this is a sort of the, I think, the only diagram that we have to describe this. So, Native chain is what it is today. Your UTXO based ledger. This is the proof of stake, uh, where you stake your twenty thousand DFI, which allows you to mine a block, uh, on average every thirty seconds, and then 
it is adjust with a, a bit of a proof of work. So that is what it is today. So, so on meta chain itself, we use this thing called the proof of authority. So let me go in depth of uh, what is that later. So to understand what is a proof of authority, proof of authority cannot stand alone. If you get what I mean by that, basically it have to be sort of uh, authorized to do something. So native chain utilizes a proof of stake, so POS. So similar to Bitcoin original core, which is POW mining algorithm. So the validator are selected in proportionate to their quantity of holding that they stick into in the associated currency. So 20k they have in this case. So if you have more master nodes, you have more uh, chances to create a block. So, so proof of authority on meta chain is a consensus method uh, to designate a number of actors to validate the blocks on the meta chain. So what does proof of authority in relation to the native chain means is the meta chain validator are masternode that are directly appointed from the native chain group of validator. So if you have a masternode on native chain, you can validate a block on the meta chain. So running a masternode on native chain naturally allows you allows you the actor to validate transaction on the native chain. So a masternode on meta chain will have the power to validate transaction on the meta chain network as they do on the native chain. So why 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 we have to do something like this? So it's very important to operate on the consensus like design, especially for phase two. Uh, to design for something for phase two, we need to have a very simplified consensus mechanism that we can actively integrate on. So the meta chain itself is just a network for EVM execution, very similar to how uh, Ethereum uh, execution layer, they, they call it the beacon chain. But in this case, uh, we are not, we have two execution layer. So we have the native chain execution layer, we have the EVM execution layer. So the consensus like design of meta chain, meta chain directly borrows the consensus or utilize the consensus on the native chain. So we'll, it will reduce a lot of complexity when it comes to peer-to-peer -peer networking. Something like block propagation is something very, very complicated. You talk about network cascading, you talk about uh, what 51% attack, tons of uh, problems uh, when it comes to designing consensus. So what does what this do for MetaChain is it moves us, it moves all of the consensus mechanism into native chain, and native chain being the network plane that moves blocks around. So we can continuously uh, iterate on native chain consensus while providing different execution layer. So when phase two is about connecting, when we hit phase two, which we connect to other chains and connect, connectivity, we can utilize the same mechanism of adding more execution layer that provides the connectivity to other chains. So connectivity between native chain is established through this common interface. So in this case, we use something similar to how Ethereum does it. We use, a, we use JSON RPC for direct communication. So when native chain means a block, it, it allows uh, the native chain to mean a block. So I constantly talk about phase two because what this is, is just a precedent for innovation. So I think meta chain, uh, the idea or the vote of confidence is to look beyond what is possible today, which is the native chain consensus. So the meta chain consensus is designed to be consensus light for continuous sustainable in in iterative development. So it's important that it's operated in sort of a parallel subnet to the, the native chain. So you can utilize the native consensus. So we could if effectively uh, change the consensus of native change 
instead of having to worry about building two consensus layer and eventually adding more execution layer, like the automation execution layer and about connectivity to other chain. Yeah. So that pretty much sums up what uh, meta chain consensus like design is about. So it, it is about how uh, it is a lot, a lot of focus is on, on, the, on the iteration because it's about how we can, how we can plug into the current consensus and iterate by adding more uh, execution layer in the future. So a lot of it, a lot of modularity is required and, and we have to make sure that the consensus mechanism uh, works well with existing uh, ecosystem tools like MetaMask, like uh, Ethereum, Ether.js, WebTree uh, clients and, and such. So now that you guys understood how the consensus layer works on MetaChain, then I can talk to you about how the tokens and bridge works on MetaChain because those are, uh, they go hand in hand. They provide the facility for uh, messaging payload, trans payload, uh, portaling as you think of it that, that way. So I think to be, before I even talk about like how we are going to bridge uh, assets between native chain and meta chain, I think I have to sort of like describe what is blockchain bridge or what is a blockchain bridge today. So a blockchain bridge today uh, or simply called as a token bridge sometimes or a network bridge, there's a lot of name for them. There's a lot of portaling, tunneling. It's about allowing assets to be moved between different blockchains, as simple as that, or different networks. So some of the chains out there that are brand as the same blockchain, but they have different networks. We utilize the same mechanism of uh, bridges to move between same ecosystem, but different network. So bridge facilitate uh, information transfer, as simple as that information. Oh, you have burned 10 DFI on native chain. Therefore you are allowed to mean 10 DFI on the meta chain, as simple as that information transfer to enable moving your assets between chain. So one thing to note here is native chain and meta chain belongs to the same DeFi chain ecosystem, but with different protocol functionality. And to think about it, generally how it works in the blockchain world is there are two types of chain, there are two types of bridges, so trusted bridge and trustless bridge. So to, to better understand how meta tokens and bridge design works, I think it's better for me to describe how the different signatures of trusted bridge and trustless bridge are designed today. So I found the best resources to, to, to describe this is actually from ethereum.org, which talks about different types of bridges. So do take a look at that. So two kinds of bridges, trusted bridge and trustless bridge. So trustless bridge operates using smart contract and algorithm, while trusted bridge depends on the authority. Basically, the, you trust a centralized authority to do something and they uh, hold on to your assets in escrow as simple as that. Well, the trustless bridge uh, doesn't depend on the authority. In the end, it depends on algorithm or in this case, smart contract or even uh, knowledge proof to move assets between uh, ecosystems. So the trust is on the blockchain or the security of the blockchain. So when you have trustless bridge, the trust assumptions of basically the, the custody of the funds are moved to someone else. And the security of the bridge uh, is as secure as the operator. So if the operator get hacked, your uh, bridge get uh, effectively wiped out. So if you think of it from a bank scenario, 
if your banks uh, get hacked, the your money in the bank uh, ceases to exist. So in a trustless bridge is it's pretty much the same thing, but the security the security doesn't lies on the central authority. So this is where they call it the code is law. So the code defines how assets are being moved. So so when you talk about trusted bridge, users give out control of their crypto assets to the authority. While if you talk about trustless bridge, users give out access of their uh, crypto to smart contract. So giving up the authority, giving up the authority, giving up to uh, smart contract or uh, algorithms as simple as that. So in a nuts in a nutshell, we can say that trusted bridge have trust assumption. Basically, you trust something, and trusted bridge has trust minimized. Basically, you don't trust beyond the domain. The domain being the blockchain itself. So, so simply, trusters have the equivalent security of the underlying domain. The domain being the operator, uh, the operator which is the chain itself. Well, the trust assumption is you move it well for the trusted bridge. You move it to the external validator to make it to make your assets uh, moving secure. So, I'm not sure it just makes it uh easier to understand or makes it even more confusing uh, to understand. But trust me, this has something to do with what I'm explaining later. So native DeFi chain, native and DeFi chain meta uses this thing called a trustless bidirectional asset bridging. That's the way we call it. So it is trustless. Okay, I, I, okay take, take a look at this one. Trustless have the equivalent security of the underlying domains. Meaning if you bridge between, let's say, uh, Binance Smart Chain and Ethereum, uh, chain, for example, you are trusting the domains, which is both Ethereum and uh, Binance Smart Chain, as well as the bridge uh, contract that move it. So, if the domain have, let's say, uh, let's say BSC has uh, a vulnerability which allows it to mine uh, one hundred thousand blocks per second, and the trust assumption on the Ethereum side uh, assume that the Binance Smart Chain can only mine, let's say. Uh, one block per hour, for example. So the trust trust assumption is gone. Therefore, people when someone speed up the block, they the Ethereum side won't be able to uh, sort of like revert the transaction because the trust assumption is only a certain amount of blocks can be produced per hour. And therefore, uh, this is this is like your your uh, security cushioning if you think of it that way. So what it means in the meta chain context is the trustless bridge doesn't have to worry about the underlying domain because the domain is the same. Because the, the consensus that we use for the meta chain relies on the native chain consensus. So our bridge is trustless and has the equivalent security of a trustless bridge without the security worries of the underlying domains because there won't be a there won't be different domain. The native chain and the meta chain are in the same ecosystem. So they operate under the same domain, have the same consensus mechanism within the same ecosystem with the same validator. So one transaction, uh, one bridge transaction completes in one block and one revert transaction completes in one block. So the, the unlining assumption here is uh, the native chain is the one carrying the things uh, forward and the meta chain uses the same uh, security uh, trust boundaries, let's think of it, domains. So there is one ecosystem. There isn't bridging between different ecosystems. It's under the same uh, umbrella. So how does that work? In, it's simply just uh, four functions, if you can think of it that way. So DeFi Chain introduces a set of smart contracts 
on each platform slash chain to perform bi-directional minting and burning. So the supply of all DFI comes from MetaChain. I mean, uh, native chain. So DFI on MetaChain are all bridged from native chain. And if, if you want to bridge your assets back to native chain, you have to burn it, from, uh, burn it on the MetaChain bridge contract. So as simple as that, uh, DF, DX, MetaBridge, MetaChain bridge contract. So on the left is a native contract. On the right, on the right is a Solidity smart contract, as simple as that. And there is a balance uh, on both sides that's been tracked. So if you move, uh, let's say, 1 million uh, DFI on the bridge, on the meta bridge, there's no way to move to, to move back 2 million from the meta chain because it simply uh, doesn't, it simply didn't move 1 million away, if that makes sense. So it's, it's sort of like a, always netting on itself. So if you move 1 million away from the, from the native chain to the meta chain, you can never move 2 million back. It's always a, a one-to-one -one relationship. Yeah. So there is uh, native chain asset, asset bridging and meta chain asset bridging. As simple as that, when you send uh, assets to the meta chain, you are burning on the native chain. And once uh, you then mean on the meta chain, so the, the number increment. So when you were to send it back to the, the native chain, you are essentially burning on the meta chain and then minting what was previously burned back into circulation, as simple as that. Yeah. So a bit of timeline. So uh, it's a bit hard to estimate, but we have been uh, sort of laser focused. And I think right now we have about, uh, I think if you look at the milestone, so there's milestone one and milestone two. So I think this way we are doing a bit different from how we used to do uh, the nature releases. We are doing fast iteration and we are making sure that everything is tested uh, the way we do it on the product side. So I'm bringing my experience on working on products. I think most of you all uh, use the DeFi chain wallet, you all use DeFi scan, you all use uh, certain products where I think if you all see the test, that's how we do it. And I think meta chain is about extending what uh, native chain was. And essentially, it's also about testing. It's a lot about improving what's the current status quo of how things was done. So the first milestone is all about getting towards the iterative testing and about like creating... Uh, if you guys use the DeFi chain uh, Light Wallet and use, use the Playground, you can see that like uh, the, you can easily test by minting tokens uh, from this network called the Playground. So we are building all this, all this ecosystem, all this tooling to support uh, building the next stage of uh, MetaChain. To, uh, doesn't just stop at uh, launching a network. It's also about how easy it is to test on MetaChain. So that's uh, that's it for the technical talk on MetaChain. I hope this uh, answer a few questions. Yeah, and yeah, many more to come. Yeah, great. Thanks. Um, there was one question in the yesterday's news show, and you now tackled a little bit the topic of the bridge. Um, I show you it's a little bit different, not what you presented, by, but maybe you can answer. The question was if DFI on DeFi MetaChain is an ERC20 token and can be traded on centralized exchanges. So, um, yeah, what's your thoughts on this question? So is the DFI on DMC uh, ERC token? Okay, so this question is a bit hard to answer because this assumes uh, by stating ERC20, you immediately assume the token is already on Ethereum. 
So therefore, uh, if I were to answer that question, we already have an ERC20 token that can already be traded on exchanges. So um, I explained it also yesterday in a way that I said, okay, DeFi MetaChain is an EVM layer. It's the format, uh, but it's not the Ethereum blockchain and uh, centralized exchanges has access to the Ethereum blockchain and not to DeFi MetaChain. If we want to transfer from DeFi MetaChain to Ethereum, we also need a kind of bridge, right? Yes, and this will be uh, talk about five years in, in 30 minutes. Okay. So hold on to that. Cool. Yeah, thanks for presenting us a little bit uh, into the techniques. Um, really great. Um, I like this idea of yeah, the master nodes are responsible for both layers and uh, it's yeah, all in one hand. Uh, this makes, you described it, the, the bridge very easy and uh, very secure. Uh, you don't have to rely on, on two parties. It's, it's one, it's the native layer, um, which is the security for the bridge then. Maybe question from my side. Um, uh, how is it avoided that someone will not mint too many DFI um, on the native DeFi chain side without having it on the DeFi meta chain? I think you will count um, the amount of DeFi burned on the native side. For, exam for example, 10 users are burning 100 DFI and minting it on the DeFi meta chain. So we have 1000 DFI on the DeFi meta chain distributed over 10 person. How it is avoided that not one person will go back with the whole amount and mint 1,000 DFI on DeFi meta uh, on DeFi native chain? Do you so understand the question? Let, let me. Uh, so ten people have hundred DFI. So ten people burn hundred DFI on the native chain. So now uh, native chain has a deficit of a thousand DFI. Right. And then meta chain have a sur surplus of a thousand DFI. So ten users. In order to move back the 1000 EFI, the 10 users have to transfer their 1000 EFI to that, to that one user to move it back. That makes sense. So, okay, this, this side is a, is a, is the sort of the trust assumption. So the domain itself, now you have to trust that the EVM, when you send balances, you have to send it to that one guy and that one guy has to move it back. Or you can send it to two people, 500, 500. Yeah. But there will never be, uh, you will never allow that to happen. Even you get what I mean. Okay. Maybe, maybe let me add a little bit. So the difference between meta chain and native chain bridge to what we all commonly refer to as bridge is that uh, what we no normally see in the news and what we normally refer to as bridge are those that are across two different blockchains. Whereas on DeFi chain side, native and meta side, it's basically two chains, but consider one single domain. So any tokens that go across is part of the consensus itself. So you cannot have over mint on the other side and, and the other side doesn't have the, the corresponding uh, burn. So it's it's consensus. If we have that, that block is not valid. It's just part of the consensus. So it makes it very, very safe. And I also want to add one more thing is that uh, what Fusin presented here also shows that the native side for DeFi chain is still going to be very key moving forward, even with EVM in there because it's still the primary consensus driver into this whole DeFi chain uh, thing. So for those of you who have 20K, um, go run the master node because you'll still be responsible for the consensus of even the EVM side moving forward. 
And this is how DeFi chain makes it in a very, very safe manner to introduce EVM to, to the native side. Very different from other blockchains out there. Mm -hmm. Great. There was another question. Uh, it looks like someone wants to try out um, testnet. Um, the question is, will there be an instruction on how I can develop contracts on the testnet? I think the best way to answer this is how you would do on Ganesh or how you would do on Hardhead. It acts as the same thing. So this, uh, I think the main reason why you wanted to do DMC or EVM is exactly that. We want to utilize the massive tooling today on Solidity and uses it. So uh, what we do is uh, how we test our code for MetaChain is we test compatibility with existing contracts, existing tools, existing systems. So you can take that assumption and use that assumption. Mm -hmm. Cool. That's all from the chat. Thanks, Fuxing, for presenting us um, the technical background of the DeFi MetaChain. And then we go to the next topic. Um, I think uh, Yuning, you will present, right? Yep. Let me share my screen. Yeah. And then okay. we go on. Okay. Hope everyone can see my screen. Yes. Right. Okay. So hi, everyone. My name is Yuning. And as Yuzin uh, introduced, I'm actually a product manager at Birthday Research. And I actually oversee the development of the DeFi meta chain. So let's begin. So I just wanted to cover a bit of the motivation for why we even have like, you know, a roadmap for DeFi meta chain. We actually, uh, it actually all comes down to one very simple question, which is how can we, you know, generate value for the DeFi chain community through the introduction of, you know, DeFi meta chain. And, you know, after thinking about it, we actually, you know, crystallize it into two key goals. And, you know, by value, what we really want is to firstly, grow the number of members in the DeFi chain community. And the second goal that we have is to really increase the, you know, price of DFI token, because, you know, we are all in this community and we're all investing in it. And you can see that there's a linkage between growing the numbers of members in DeFi chain community uh, and also the DFI token price. And that's because when the number of members grow, it will actually, you know, spill over into increasing the price of DFI token and vice versa. When the price of DFI token increase, it will actually also help to attract more people to join the DeFi chain community. And to achieve these two goals, we actually laid out a series of uh, programs like the, you know, $100 million accelerator program, the hackathon, the launchpad and launch pool, and all these ideas are expected to synergize with each other to actually, you know, multiply the number of members we have and to actually, you know, lead to a growth in the utility of the DFI token. Now I'll go into each of the programs um, bit by bit. First, I'll start with a launchpad. Now, I think Launchpad is actually not a new idea. It has been done by many other, you know, platforms out there. Binance has its own version of Launchpad and stuff like that. But um, we still want to do a Launchpad because it is a tested and proven idea. And later on, I'll elaborate why, you know, a Launchpad is so ex exciting and why it makes so much sense in the context of our uh, community. But first, I just want to explain what Launchpad is because there might be some people that don't know what a Launchpad is. So a Launchpad is essentially a initial DEX offering platform. Um, you know, think of it as a platform where, you know, projects comes to you 
to actually list their you know project token if someone wants to raise funds to you know uh you know expand their infrastructure they can actually come to us and list their project token now community members that are interested to invest in this project token can just take their dfi or dnc token and what happened is that when the execution happens the dfi token will be traded for you know the the equivalent amount of project token so i give you guys a layman uh, perspective and think of us as like the new york stock exchange and if let's say a new project comes to us and say hey look i want to actually raise a certain amount of fund they will actually say i'm going to give you 100 tokens and you know any community member that interested in this can just take their tokens and then you know there will be an exchange so from the community perspective your input is actually dfi and dmc token and you will get in return the project token and from a project's perspective you are actually putting forth your project token in return for dfi or dmc token that the community provided now there are three key benefits to you know launchpad the first benefit is that it encourages buying of dmc and dfi token from the supply pool is I, th I think it's very simple because if you want to participate in a launchpad, you definitely need to get DFI or DMC token. Now, the second benefit is even cooler, and this is actually backed by heuristics. Um, launchpad will actually bring new users into the DeFi chain ecosystem. What do I mean by that? A lot of projects that actually come to launch on launchpad are actually projects that have already established for a certain period of time. And so when they come into our ecosystem and launch their project, they don't just bring new technologies and new content. They also bring about their existing community that they already have built up. They also bring new liquidity, you know, to our ecosystem. I'll give you an example. Um, we actually interviewed some, you know, people from different uh, companies when we were conceptualizing the launchpad. So for Bybit, for instance, even during this bear market, when they actually launch a new project on Launchpad, it actually brings or rather introduces 15,000 new community members to their platform. I, I'm sure everyone here knows the size of the DeFi chain you know, community. Think about it. Every project is the equivalent of 15,000 new investors into our ecosystem. And that's during a bear market. In a, in a bull market, it is actually around 25,000. So that's how exciting you know a launchpad can be and how much potential it has to drive the growth of you know DeFi chain the last benefit is more of to do with the mechanism of launchpad and basically um, to participate in a launchpad we can also introduce additional mechanism like you know asking people to lock up additional dfi on dmc for you know added chances of getting more project token i'll elaborate more in the next slide so to actually actualize this whole launchpad, we actually broke up the development phase into um, you know, three different phases. And the first phase is really very simple. It is to you know, have a token distribution module so that you know, we can actually distribute the project tokens to the community um, users and also you know, distribute the DFI tokens to the projects that are seeking funding. And there is also a staking module so that you know, the community users can actually stake the DFI itself. So that's actually the minimum viable product that we are looking to launch. Now, in the next phase, we are looking at something called a tiered membership. Now, in our research, we realized that one of the challenges of many launchpad is that, you know, some of them might not have mechanisms to guard against, you know, a whale monopolizing the whole lion's share of token. For example, if let's say a whale has 10 million DFI, they can easily take up the whole, you know, um, liquidity of the project. 
and that makes the project the not attractive to invest at all because you know the small community users will then be at the mercy of the big will so to actually mitigate that what we want to do is to cap a certain amount of you know project token that every investor can invest in so that you know this cannot be manipulated by one single actor now here is where a tiered membership will come in so to actually give you know people that are very interested in this project an added chance of getting more project token we can require them to stake a certain amount of token to increase their membership tier so that they can then get a certain percentage more of the project token and this then creates more dfi and dmc lock up in our ecosystem as an and and then an additional idea that we are toying with is also to actually, in phase two, create a launchpad token of its own. And what happens is that with this launchpad token, you will then, you know, community will then now have to use the launchpad token to actually um, participate in any launchpad project. And the beauty of this idea is that we can then compel everyone to stake either DUSD, DFI, or DMC token to actually mean the launchpad token for the participation in future launchpad project. This then locks up a lot of this DUSD, DFI, and DMC token as well. Now, in the last phase of this launchpad, what we want to do is to, you know, we ask ourselves a very fundamental question. How do we, you know, differentiate ourselves from the many other launchpad out there? And one of the things that we came back to is really, you know, we want to actually differentiate the kind of products that we offer to the community users. And that's where we came to the idea of actually creating a launchpad, not just for Web3 companies. We want to actually do a launchpad and launch pool for Web2 companies as well. Now think of it this way, like today, quite a lot of startups are actually facing, you know, issues with like, um, you know, raising funds in this kind of climate. And they also, you know, raising funds is not exactly easy because you have to, you know, go through a lot of layers of compliance. For instance, if you want to do an IPO on, you know, uh, you know, in uh, New York Stock Exchange, for instance, you need to go through many layers of IPO. Uh, you need to go through many layers of audit and compliance. So we want to actually extract away all those tedious process for them. And that's why it makes sense for this Web2 companies to come, you know, launch, come tokenize their equities and launch on our platform. And in doing so, it actually differentiates our launchpad because when Web2 companies actually join, um, you know, our ecosystem, it actually adds a certain layer of legitimacy to what we are doing here. You know, imagine today, you know, for example, big companies like maybe um, Uber comes to us and say, hey, look, I want to actually tokenize my assets on your platform. This adds a lot of recognition and, you know, legitimacy, not just to our project, but to, you know, cryptocurrency as a whole. And lastly, you know, we can also um, introduce NFTs and then, you know, get users to stake their NFTs for added you know, rewards. So in some, these are some of the things that we are looking at in, um, you know, building for our launch pad. Now I go on to the second idea, which is the launch pool. And the launch pool will be launched after the, you know, after we actually have done the launch pad. And launch pool is very similar to the idea of a launch pad, except that uh, in a launch pool, projects are still able to list their project tokens. However, in this case, projects are not expecting any in return so take it as you know this project just wants to you know donate their project tokens a certain amount of their project tokens to our community just so that you know they can gain more credibility and recognition and from a community's perspective what we then do is we stake our dfi or dmc token and 
you know, periodically, we will then be able to mean and earn the project token that, you know, this project has actually donated. And this means that the community does not run any risk of losing their DFI or DMC token at all. Your token will still belong to you. It is just stake in a pool. But, you know, you're constantly receiving, you know, new tokens from these projects. And what happens is that, you know, when this kind of project token, uh, you know, like goes up, it actually goes up by quite a lot. So from a community perspective, it makes a lot of sense to invest in a launch pool because you are getting zero risk for a potential very high return. Now, in some, there are three benefits to the entirety of the DeFi chain, eco DeFi chain community. Benefit number one, again, it encourages buying of DFI and DMC from the supply pool because to participate, you definitely need DFI and DMC. Secondly, again, it brings in new users to our ecosystem. And lastly, it locks up DFI and DMC because to participate, you need to actually continue to stake your DFI and DMC. So that's it for launch pool. So to give a very layman's perspective, right? Launchpad, uh, sorry, uh, launch pool is like a Santa Claus, you know, it's just constantly giving out gifts to, you know, people uh, of our community. Now, let me segue into Hackathon. Hackathon, I'm sure every, uh, most of you are familiar with it, you know, uh, this was actually in the previous CFP round where we actually, you know, through the support of the community, we raised 350,000 DFI and of which 300,000 DFI will be allocated to prizes and 50,000 DFI will be used by birthday research to do marketing. And so what these 50,000 DFI is going to go towards will be, so for example, marketing on CoinGecko, CoinMarketCap, and you know, various publications, just so we raise attention and awareness of the hackathon and also of the DeFi meta chain itself. Because the hackathon is going to be the very first, you know, beach hedge in which we are actually announcing the DeFi meta chain. And so it is very important that we do adequate marketing for this hackathon. And what happens is that initially, um, when we first proposed this hackathon, we were thinking of working with this organizer called DevPost. But, you know, after uh, talking to some other hackathon um, organizers like DoraHex, we decided to switch DoraHex instead. That's because Dora Hacks will be doing the hackathon marketing free of charge for us. So from a community perspective, we actually save quite a lot in terms of marketing. And this actually was the reason why we now have 50,000 DFI to do additional marketing on CoinGecko and you know, CoinMarketCap. In fact, um, one thing I learned recently from Dora Hacks partners is that they are actually the biggest engine that pushes project for Binance Accelerator program. This is something that I'll talk about later. But so basically, Binance has a huge $100 million accelerator program. And, you know, that's actually one of the key engine of Binance success. And DoraHex partners told me that they were actually the ones that pushed the most amount of projects to Binance most valuable builder um, accelerator program. And so in my call with the partner, they actually committed to us that they will help also in pushing projects and developers to a $100 million accelerator program to actually help grow our community. So that's it for Hackathon. Yeah. And lastly, I want to talk about the, um, you know, the $100 million accelerator program that, you know, we've seen a lot of like, you know, buzz over, you know, we actually released this uh, uh, Reddit uh, CFP two days ago. So why do we actually want a $100 million accelerator program? What's the motivation behind it? So again, it boils down to the question of how do we grow the DeFi chain community, you know, 
And one of the first thing we did was we actually went to research, you know, what are some of the things that, you know, other top blockchain projects are doing that has actually worked for them. And we managed to find out that actually, you know, a lot of the top blockchain projects out there, they actually have some form of accelerator program. And it ranges from 100 million all the way to, you know, uh, 1 billion, which is actually for finance itself. And Binance in particular has one of the most successful accelerator program, which they call the most valuable builder program, NBB for short. And this NBB, here's how it works. So for example, in before the NBB begins, they will actually announce, hey, you know, all projects that are interested to participate in the NBB, you know, you can just, uh, you know, register. And what happens is that when NBB starts, projects will have two months to actually, um, you know, make sure that their project is actually launched on the mainnet. And what happens is that in these two months, uh, Binance will actually shortlist at the end of two months the top 20 projects in terms of the most number of TVL, the most number of community votes, and also the most number of community strength, which is basically the number of Twitter followers they had, the number of medium followers they have. In round two, so the top 20 project will go on to the round two. Now in round two, projects have one month in which to grow their TVL and community members as much as possible. And we'll shortlist the top 10 projects in terms of, again, the same metrics, TVL, number of community votes, and the community strength. And these top 10 projects will each receive $10,000. And in round three, Binance will then, again, shortlist the top five projects. And the top five projects will each receive $100,000. They'll receive mentorship and a chance for investment from Binance Labs, which is their um, investment uh, um, which is like the Kate DeFi venture equivalent. And let me just quickly sum up the achievements of the Most Valuable Builder program. So in the first season where Binance launched this Most Valuable, Most Valuable Builder program, over 650 projects participated and they collectively contributed to the creation of 100,000 new active addresses that are holding BNB. And these projects that were shortlisted further contributed to a growth of $50 billion TVL. And Binance so far has launched a total of five seasons of MVB program. So in total, Binance actually only gave out 4.4 million in terms of grants for billions of TVL and, and a lot of publicity and you know a lot of the new community users that are holding BNB. So that's why we actually wanted to do something similar because, you know, Sometimes it just makes sense to see, you know, what's the recipe of success, you know, in other projects. And we try to emulate that, you know, uh, based on our context. So here's what we want to do. We are raising 10 million DFI, okay, to actually, you know, create a similar program. And what the 10 million DFI would be used for is basically for the top 10 and top 5 projects. And the top 10 projects will receive 10,000 DFI. The top 5 projects will receive the, you know, 100,000 DFI. And what this really means is that, um, you know, if we want to do two rounds of this program every year, that amounts to $600,000 every round and 1.2 million DFI used per year. And we, are, we know that, you know, it is a, a difficult thing to actually get the community to buy in with such a huge amount for something that's not exactly proven. That's why we want to break down the funding into three phases. In phase one, what we really need is 1.2 million DFI to validate our idea. And only if in phase one, we prove that, you know, 
the amount of TVL grown is far more than the 1.2 million DFI we give out. That's where you know we will then ask for funding for phase two. Phase three, phase two will need 2.4 million DFI to run the program for another two years. And again, the same metrics apply. We need to grow more TVL than the amount of DFI we give out. And lastly, in phase three, we'll ask for a total of 6.4 million DFI. Now, um, 10 million DFI, while well, it's a huge sum, is not exactly you know, a big enough sum to attract tier one publications like Coindesk, um, you know, uh, Bloomberg and Yahoo to actually you know, publicize about our program. And so we want to actually make the fund bigger. So that's why we actually turn to Cake and we ask them, hey Cake, you know, can you actually you know, help us in this regard? Can we collaborate on this? And Cake very you know, generously you know, put forth a total of $9 million in their Cake DeFi Venture Fund to actually help spruce our, you know, accelerator fund to a total of $100 million. And, you know, this also goes to show um, how invested um, Cake is in, in terms of the DeFi chain ecosystem. It's not just saying that it is confident, it is actually putting money forth towards this cause. So now what would the $90 million um, do from Cake side? Basically, Cake is actually lending us its name its reputation plus boosting the fund to $100 million so that we can then, you know, get a chance to entice the, the attention of the tier one publications to actually publicize about our $100 million accelerator as well as, you know, DeFi chain and DeFi meta chain itself. And this $90 million will be invested in the top five projects. So basically at the end of the round three, there'll be top five you know, there will be five top projects and they will each have a chance to pitch their project idea to, you know, the community at Cake DeFi Ventures. And if the community likes the idea, they will then invest in the projects itself. So let me sum up, you know, what's the purpose of this $100 million accelerator program and what we are trying to achieve. There are three key purposes. The first purpose is really to entice the best projects in other EVM chain to come and build on DMC. And that's because really, you know, when projects come over to DMC, they bring about new D apps, which is new content for our users. They bring about their organic community in their, you know, blockchain. And they also bring about a lot of liquidity for us. And all this really translates to one simple fact. It will lead to an increase in demand for DMC and DFI too. Second purpose is really to provide funding to help accelerate the growth of the top projects in DMC. Why do we want that? It's very simple. You know, when top projects in the ecosystem grow in terms of TVL, they directly contribute to our TVL as well. So currently DeFi chain has a TVL of around 658 million. Imagine, you know, one project just grow in terms of 100 million TVL, that will actually translate to our TVL growth as well. Now, the last thing is really to generate publicity via the tier one publications to jumpstart the success of DMC. You know, because just because we launch a, you know, EVM chain doesn't mean that people will readily come and start building on us. We need a lot of publicity and attention on this, you know, um, this EVM in order for it to be a success. It is super important to actually get publicity. And so to actually create this kind of publicity, we really need the tier one publications to come and publicize. And that's why we need such a huge fund because only with such a huge fund will they be interested to publicize about us. So in general, right, actually 
you know, DeFi Chain and DMC is really a fantastic project. But we really need more people to know about us. You know, we, it is time for us, you know, we have we have spent two years maturing, but now it is time for us to actually break out our shell and tell the whole world about how good we are. And I just want to give everyone an example. When Crypto.com's Kronos uh, EVM actually, you know, launched a $100 million accelerator program, it was actually publicized across all the different other, you know, publications. And that was actually during a bull market. Now imagine in a bear market where we actually launched a $100 million accelerator program. Think about how receptive the tier one publication would be towards the announcement of such a huge fund, despite there being a bear market. It will all the more show how committed DeFi chain community is to growing the blockchain ecosystem. We are not just in it for the money. We are really here to actually grow and you know make a significant impact to the blockchain community. Now, um, the team here at Verte Research, we are super appreciative of the support that the community has rendered to us. You know, we have seen the number of upvotes on the Reddit, and I think, you know, um, the number of upvotes as well on our announcement on Telegram, I think it goes to show how much you guys trust us, and we will definitely not abuse this. We are 100% convicted and committed to making this work, and this will not be done alone on our end. It will, we will actually continue to collaborate with the community find areas of synergy to actually bring this $100 million accelerator program and DeFi chain to the next level. So in sum, DMC Hackathon is the first touch point to bring attention to our DMC, DeFi Meta chain and you know, DeFi chain ecosystem. Alongside with it, they also bring about new potential projects that will go into our launchpad and launch pool pipeline. And Successful projects that have launched our launchpad launch pool can then participate in the DMC accelerator program. And likewise, you know, any good projects that come out of DMC hackathon can then be channeled towards, you know, DMC accelerator program as well. Um, and I just want to, you know, uh, maybe share a bit about the, um, a bit of teaser here. So um, we didn't actually conceptualize all these ideas without, you know, interviewing um, you know, top crypto projects from other blockchains. So, um, so our team actually reached out to some of these projects, and uh, one of the top teams on Kronos, uh, they, I think, at the height of the bull market, they actually had a TVL of two billion, and I think they had a TVL of one billion on Polygon. They actually gave like you know, a soft commitment to actually uh, launch on our DeFi Meta Chain ecosystem the moment it's ready, and that is just one of the many projects that will come. And so with that, I just want to conclude my presentation. I just think that it's a truly exciting time ahead for, you know, DeFi chain community. And I just can't wait to be able to share more of these products with you guys as, as soon as it's implemented and concretized. That's all. Thanks. Thanks for the presentation. Yeah, it really looks you're you're hyped about Diva Meta Chain. You're on fire with this topic. <laughs> uh, I saw it in your face. Yeah, you cannot wait that everything is live and uh, we can start to build on it. Um, really, really great. Thanks for showing us uh, the three different parts there. I think uh, it helps a lot of uh, the community members to get an impression. Yeah, what is Diva Meta Chain and how do we want to push it? Um, Thanks for it. So then we have a lot of questions in the chat. Um, I just switch the screen and then we have a look on the questions. I will read it and then uh, the best of you <laughs> three can answer it uh, if you like. 
So I would start with um, my DeFi chain. Are there any estimates for the performance of the servers for the master nodes? Nodes, uh, if the validation for the DeFi meta chain has to be done additionally, I think they are asking because they are hosting a lot of master nodes and want to know is there any additional performance requirements to their servers. Who can answer it? Fusing. Yep. Okay, so I think it's a great question. So there's actually uh, this is under issue ninety seven and issue ninety nine of the meta chain wrapper. So I think we also think about this quite significantly. Um, I think we would be doing. I think there was a question about economics also. I think this is uh going to be introduced with economics. So, uh, the meta chain consensus. Uh, as a stage, uh, we are still looking at whether to have it, uh, sort of, uh, basically those native chain uh, runners, whether we are going to require all native chain to process all meta chain uh, execution, or whether are we going to do it on a phase approach? And if you're going to use a phase approach, what kind of economical incentives are we going to introduce? Because we are very well aware that part of the DMC embedded uh, into the same uh, domains as it is. The server profile and the server maintenance and the operational flows of uh, what uh, we are comfortable with today uh, will require everything to change. And this is not uh, operational friendly for, for many of us out there, even uh, individuals like us that operate nodes. Uh, and we have having to reconfigure ourselves will take a lot more time. So this is, uh, we're looking at more of a, phase approach and economical incentives over a period of time. So this will be uh, sort of, we will create a, a proper documentation talking about this uh, in, when the time is to come to move the, uh, when we are moving uh, it to uh, requiring all niche in runners to run DeFi chain. So that's the answer for now. Okay. Then uh, next one, is it possible to change native coins to DeFi MetaChain coins in the Light Wallet? I think it's a normal user using Light Wallet as a product. And now question is, DeFi MetaChain, how can I get access to it? So I think this is, a, this is something that I've been talking to the people working on the DeFi chain wallet. So uh, I think it's very important to allow that kind of uh, interpolability between on the light wallet itself to easily move assets. So the answer is yes for now, but not maybe not uh, the moment it's launched, but uh, maybe we only allow it from the CRI start. But yes, definitely we are going to introduce it on the light wallet. Cool. Then the next tricky question. If I bridge to DeFi Meta Chain while doing a native transaction at the same block, what happens? Is it possible or? So this uh, answer will be very similar to if you do a swap and you do a transfer at the same time, only one will go through. Mm -hmm. Then uh, regarding masternode, will every masternode mint uh, DeFi MetaChain blocks or will there be an incentive for the validating? You take so, a little bit. Yep, so I answered that question previously. So yeah. yes, so the answer is economics will be at play to incentivize validation. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, and then a longer question over two. So I understand that a lot of new users will come into the DeFi chain system and liquidity will go up. But if a project collects DFI in exchange for project tokens to fund development, then go on. The result is per saldo the same buyers buy DFI to exchange, but the project will be a seller. With the staking, it's different, of course. Um, I think uh, the one or other comment here would help. Um, it's, uh, I think, regarding the launch pool, right? Um, how does it bring the DFI price up or are the DFI locked then away from the market? Um, maybe the one or other explanation. Um, let me answer this. So it's actually very simple. There are a few layers of mechanism to this. So when projects actually launch on our launch pad, right, they are actually collecting DFI, but they're not just collecting, you know, DFI and DMC for no reason. To actually go about in their daily activity, they still do need to have DFI and DMC uh, liquidity. If not, they cannot actually ink any transaction on our block. That's number one. Number two, the launchpad is kind of like the gold standard when it comes to project. Now, even without launchpad, right, any project can just come to our, you know, ecosystem and, you know, just do their own initial uh, coin offering. But how is our, you know, uh, launchpad different from other, you know, random projects that are launching token is that firstly, we have our layer of vetting where our internal team will actually vet the project in terms of like, hey, who are the founders here? You know, what's the nature of this project? Is there any possibility of rug pull and stuff like that? And also there's a secondary layer, which is a community. The community will also get a chance to vote on the top projects. So basically, right, all these projects that want to come and launch on our launchpad will have to pitch to the community and ask and show why are they deserving of a spot in the launchpad of, you know, in our ecosystem. Yeah. Cool. Thanks. Uh, next question. I suppose we would then have a project token economy trading function on the DEX. Um, is it additional DEX? Is it the native DEX? So I think here people are asking if there are new tokens created, how can I uh, swap from uh, one to the other? I presume this is with regard to the launchpad and launch pool. So basically, the launch, think of the launchpad and launch pool as a new website in which you know there will be new projects listing every month. And on top of that, right, there will be a DEX function on this platform so that people can then, you know, swap. For example, let's say you got a lot of new project token, you want to actually swap back to DFI or DMC, you can actually do that via this, you know, DEX on the web page itself. Yeah. Okay. And then is there any question again? Here I have to read, hey all, I love the idea of the launchpad, launch pool and accelerator program will be great. Last round, there was a big discussion about not funding for-profit companies. What are the differences here? Yeah, I'll answer that. So actually, I've answered that uh, several times in the Reddit, but <laughs> okay. I'll just uh, still mention here. No, no problem at all. I think it's a very reasonable question. Um, so basically, right, in the traditional CFP, right, the people or rather any companies that come here to actually raise funds, right, they might not have a product that is out there they you know they are actually untested and proven they are just actually soliciting fund to actually build up their business and they have not contributed to the DeFi chain community at all period but in the case of the accelerator program all these projects will have to have already launched their project on our mainnet and they would have to have to contribute a certain amount of tbl growth to our DeFi chain community so in this case right they have already contributed to our DeFi chain ecosystem 
even before they are actually getting this fund. And so think of it this way, we're just rewarding them for their good work, you know. They have actually grown 200 million TVL for us, so now we're just giving them 100,000 DFI if let's say they win the top five spot. I would think that that's actually a pretty reasonable proposition, yeah. Mm-hmm. Great, thanks. And last question so far, is it possible to transfer D tokens from the beginning? I think it's the transfer between native and DeFi meta chain. I think this question is for me. So by design, um, the the contracts, uh, the four functions that I wrote operates on the D tokens level. So by design, uh, we are designing for that. So I'm we might change it for to UTXO. I think by now you guys are familiar that DFI have a few permutations. So you have it on the UTXO layer, you have it on the account layer. So D tokens all are operating on the account layer, and Therefore, uh, we chose the token layer to be the one that appreciates uh, the asset. So similar to how um, the vaults work, you have to use your account balances to deposit into the vault. So yeah, so that will inherently support all the tokens and therefore allow the domain bridge the tokens into uh, MetaChain. I guess that's a pretty exciting. Yeah, great. Okay, and that's all from the question, but we are not at the end. Uh, we still have one topic. Yosin, your part <laughs> is still missing, and I switch back to uh, the scene um, because I think it's a really interesting topic if you want to show us. And yeah, uh, wow, there's a lot, a lot of uh, very exciting talks today, and a lot of good questions being asked today. Hope uh, you guys can still pay attention for one last one. Uh, I promise to be quite fast um so so for since we're talking about the the bridge that's internal within uh DeFi mana chain and DeFi native chain um so one of the things i want to talk about is on the erc20 bridge so if you see the icon here we have DeFi chain and, and ethereum so this answers one of the questions that was asked as well on how do we bring uh DeFi chain and d tokens to um to the to to ethereum where all this um where there's a wider community on the uh, on the whole DeFi side. So before I get into that, I just want to get everyone on the same page here. So why uh, bridge is important? Like bridge bridge is very important because it helps to bring liquidity to to a blockchain ecosystem, especially if that ecosystem is not Ethereum or Bitcoin. If you're two of the largest one, then you're fine because people are people need to bridge to you rather than away from you. So. If you're Ethereum or Bitcoin, you just stay there. If you're not, then you want to build a bridge to Ethereum or Bitcoin so that you can get the liquidity uh, from the other blockchains. But we talk about bridge. It's a very taboo word, especially uh, this year. We've seen a lot of hacks on bridge that, that's operating around many, many blockchains. Um, this is are the two of the most recent one. Um, yeah, one the, the bottom one's a rather small one, one million, but still, it's still um, a major thing as well, especially when the blockchain is going to be quantum uh, resistant, uh, and Binance one that's a really major one that got hit. So, and across the whole year, we've seen over two billion dollar worth of uh, hacks happening on on the bridge side. So, so with all this um, knowledge, it's very important that if we do this bridge, we have to make sure that they are safe and they are they are secure. So before we got into the implementation, I just want to, again, uh, 
especially for new uh, viewers here, just also get everyone on the same page here. So on DeFi, on DeFi chain side, we have DFI being a native token, and uh, we have DeFi asset token, basically the tokens that are backed on the on some native chain. So these are like DBTC, DEF, D Litecoin. So all of these tokens are, excuse me, are on um, DeFi Mina chain, but they are also completely overbacked on the native side. And uh, thanks to DC, that's completely tracking that. So you can be sure that all these tokens are are, are fully backed. Um, and these are the tokens that are available right now on the asset tokens that are available on DeFi chain right now. In order for you to go in and out of uh, of of uh, DAT into the native side, you would go through one of these exchanges like KuCoin, DFX, Cake DeFi, or uh, DeFi Bridge. Depends on what you want to do. So KuCoin is more on the DFI to ERC20 DFI side. DFX they have a BTC DBTC bridge and Cake DeFi. Uh, there's the bridges across all these others and DeFi Bridge. Um, from uh, Dr. Dana Pugara that's providing the bridge to over to the to the um, BSC side. So there's all these bridges that are bringing liquidity into and out from uh, DeFi chain. Um, so the user experience for all these bridges is that uh, all the, the three that we have over here requires KYC except uh, DeFi bridge where it's, uh, it's not a KYC bridge. Um, so for a public open blockchain, um, it's not great for adoption if you need to go through a centralized service for that. You need to go through uh, KYC for that. So it's not great for adoption. So can we do better here? Um, um, so bridge, what, what is the function of a bridge in order for us to design a, a good, uh, a, a functional bridge here? So bridge, if you're really new to the blockchain side, it, it basically serves two functions. It goes into and out from the blockchain. And in terms of the DeFi chain side, let's use Bitcoin, for example, here. So if you want to get into DeFi chain side, you would swap BTC to DBTC. So you will lock BTC on the Bitcoin blockchain side, and then you're going to mint DBTC on the DeFi chain side. <coughs> Excuse me. So that allows you to get uh, into the ecosystem. And if you want to come out, from DeFi chain, you want to get back your BTC, you will then burn the DBTC that you minted on the DeFi chain side, and you're going to get a release of the same amount on the Bitcoin side. So this allows um, users to go in and out of, the, of DeFi chain uh, with a functional bridge. So how could a bridge go wrong? Right? So one of the first things that, that uh, which Fusing also covers just now is that cross-chain consensus is very, very hard, or even close to impossible because we're talking about consensus that are completely independent across two different chains. How can you make sure that they, they're aligned, right? How many confirmations that you need to wait before you're safe to release the, the, the token or they could also reorg. So crossing consensus is very, very hard. And a lot of them relies on relayers or so relayers may lag or may fork or someone that may also lie. Uh, so that's the, Thing that we're looking at and some of them try to do on-chain verification it's also really really hard it's acting like a layer two um, verification to try to verify a, a, a transaction from the other side and we've seen a lot of bridges got hacked this way so when you try to do to really um come up with ways to to verify other evm chain uh, on 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 your chain so so vitalik is uh 
famously tweeted on this one that it's really hard to do uh, a, a cross-chain um, bridge across multiple consensus because you're not in the same domain, like, like what Fusing says. So on this side, just to also add that on native side, on the meta chain side, it's completely safe because it's in the same domain. It's in the same zone of sovereignty. So you, we can control 100% on that. That, that. That doesn't even need any relayer because it's all part of the consensus. On the other issues as well, security issues, smart contract bug to do a bridge, uh, collusion. If you have a decentralized bridge in multiple parties, they could collude and 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 sign and doing the the back um, <clears throat> Bitcoin. And also keys getting hacked, right? So if um, if the uh, hacker manages to steal keys to unlock faults or to mint uh, DBTC or to mint the, the token, then uh, you could have an unlimited mint there. So, excuse me. Um, so what are the risk impacts? So there are all these risks that, are, that we talk about. Also, we should quantify the risk impact for some of these. Like if due to cross-chain consensus that that um, DPTC or BTC are released or minted and then the chain reorg. So these are erroneous uh, release. It's bad, but how bad could it be? Like the impact is low. But if you have a leak keys or a collusion, the attacker could drain the backing coins entirely or you could mint under the number of DPTC. In, the, in our case, that would be bad because that would, the impact is really, really high on this one. So we really want to avoid the big impact one and try to minimize the chance of having the, the low impact one. Um, so the proposal here, or what's, what we're gonna be working on, it's a centralized KYC-less bridge because it's centralized because we don't have a clear good way yet on how to run a completely centralized bridge. But we have a clear uh, model on how to run a good centralized bridge. But how we take out the KYC part, um, so the QI, so this bridge is going to be completely instant. I just use it as instant, but it's more like fast. You don't have to deposit and then wait for withdrawal. You just basically do a swap and you get it out. And um, there will be a small fee, but it's not paid to budget. It's not. It's also not paid to operator. It's basically being used. The fees. Sometimes the fees are there not because anyone wants to make money. It's just to pre prevent uh, spam. If it costs you something. Uh, it prevents spam, right? What if, like, we get so much spam in an email today? What if sending an email costs you one cent? We're gonna, we're, we're gonna have, we're gonna eliminate spam all around the world. So if, if you could have that on email server, they're gonna have to, have to pay one cent. That would be great because we will <laughs> start eliminating uh, spam. So it's for this reason that there will be a small fee uh, for this bridge. Uh, it's not paid to operator. Uh, it's for anti-spam, and there will be a very, very simple UX. Uh, and how to mitigate the risk of ruin where you get the really bad, um, um, like keys got stolen and you get drained everything. Um, so, um, so the way that we do it is by having a sensible limit that's enforced not only on the application side, but also as part of the consensus on chain. So we want to prevent the worst thing that could happen where the keys, because this bridge is it's live and on the internet. So if the keys are leaked, what's the worst that could happen? So the worst that could happen is that you the, the attacker could mint the full amount for that day. It could be 50 Bitcoin or it could be 100 Bitcoin. 
based on what a cons consortium has said. So there's a talk on that back in May. So there's a limit, limit on how a member of consortium can, can mint. So that sets a boundary on what's the loss that, uh, that it could suffer because of the hack. So it's not unlimited uh, mint. And on a BTC side, we should also limit the per day release as well. So we're talking about mint on the BTC side, right? So, so if you go on the BTC side, if it's more of a release. So because you lock it up in a in a address on smart contract, you want to release those. So how can that be enforced? Um, we're talking about not just protecting the keys. We're talking about a hard security enforcement that that you cannot overcome even if you have the key. So how can that be enforced? And um, um, because so I'm going to skip that for now and move on to the third point because there's still limited swaps per day, hence the fees are, are, are required. Otherwise, you're just going to spam it all day. You're going to drain the limit and then someone can use the the, the, the bridge because you're just going to spam it. Like if you have a fee to pay, then uh, it's going to cost you some money to, to spam it. So and the fees itself, because it's not used for anything, fees would buy DOSC. And via the DEX and then burn, burn the DOSD because this brings benefit to all of us, DFI holders and, and DOSD holders. So this will be done in a open and trackable way, just like how the DBTC burn is being carried out right now uh, on chain. <clears throat> so on the UX side, if we're talking about BTC, um, so let's just focus on the large tokens on the DAT side. So we have BTC, we have ETH. We have USDT and USDC, and the rest are the others are not that major, so we should start with the major ones first. And all of them are, if you look at these four, all of them are on, on Ethereum except BTC. So if we don't do on the native Bitcoin side, how about we do it on RAP BTC, which is a very established coin on the Ethereum side? If you do that, then everything is on is on Ethereum. So that makes the whole UX a lot whole lot simpler. And uh, you can work with um, you can work with Minimas on that. So basically, the, on the UX side, there'll be a website. You go there, just like if you use any other blockchains that has a bridge, you go there. You just use Minimas, connect your Minimas to that to that site, and you're gonna send the Bitcoin or send the direct Bitcoin or send the ETH and your CT or whatever. And you're gonna enter the the DeFi chain address and you're gonna get it once it achieves a certain confirmation. So it's very similar to uh to Kagara's um bridge there on uh on uh on BSC side. So that experience becomes very unified. So therefore we should do the WBTC so that the whole experience is all just everyone's gonna be very familiar with uh with MetaMask, right? So and back to risk of rain mitigation. So how do we then prevent on the BTC side? So with WBTC there is now a smart contract that we can implement that. So there is a it's gonna be a hard rule on the smart contract itself that prevents that release. So all that WBTC is gonna be stored in the smart contract. There'll be a really hard rule. It's gonna be a very, very simple smart contract because it doesn't have to be complicated at all for this, just basically locking it up and then set a hard limit on how you can withdraw per day. And that's it. So that's a, that's a hard rule on that smart contract. So let very limited release per day. And if shit hits the fan, because we always plan for that, like what's the max damage the attacker could do if this bridge gets hacked? It's the max of two days of cap because 
if your attacker is smart, you're gonna do it like right when the clock ticks over. So you're gonna do it like eleven hours, and you're gonna do it like twelve hours, so that you can do like two days. The the max damage is two days of cap, because then everyone's gonna detect that, and immediately the bridge gonna be stop and and uh and, and damage completely cap right. So it's not completely. It, it's is it bad? Yes, it's still bad, but it is bounded versus unbounded bridge that we've seen so far uh that's happening uh in, in many places so in this case it's a hard rule to enforce that the, the the damage limited so so it brings all the good ux brings it centralized in this case to to work because it's a major bridge we we want to make sure that it's really safe and right now we don't have a we don't have a workable provable uh completely trustless bridge anywhere just yet. So therefore, uh, you have to take a very safe approach here to do a centralized bridge, completely automated, no no one's manning it, manning in, having a hard security enforced on uh, on consensus. So in summary, I just wanna compare the three different bridges that we have over here. Um, so a centralized side of change uh, and decentralized bridge basically um, referring to more of a the bridges that we see on uh, uh, out there today, and also the ERC twenty bridge that we're talking about here. So the safety for 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 all these different mechanism has a very different profile, right? So if you talk about centralized side, the safety mechanism is is high. Um, we haven't seen much of that um, like drain uh, on side because you you're if you're custody side, you have to make sure that you have a really high security standards there. And on the centralized bridge, we're seeing so many hacks around there because it's still really, really hard to do that correctly. And uh, I'm pretty sure we're going to figure out one day to, uh, a safe way to build a centralized bridge, bridge, just like how Atomic Swap is now uh, kind of like a proven model out there. So it's going to be, we're going we're gonna to get there someday, but not yet today. So on ERC20 bridge that we have on this model, it's going to be centralized. So therefore, the safety part is, is high. And on the last limit on the centralized side, uh, because safety is really good, so none. And on the centralized bridge, some bounded, but on ERC20 yes, bridge, it's capped. So the loss that you can sustain from this is just basically within that cap limit and enforced on chain on, on consensus. On both DeFi chain side and also on the Ethereum side, it's completely capped. And on KYC, uh, centralized side, you need KYC. So the centralized bridge, you don't need, you don't need that. And on the ERC20 bridge, you don't need that as well. Basically, it's made up as plug it in and you're going to be able to use it. On a UX on centralized side, it's slow. You need to deposit and withdraw. But on bridges, you just connect with few confirmation. You get you get your swap coin. So that is how it's gonna be. So yeah, this is coming soon in Q4. Um, uh, just in time for the DMC. So all this will bring into all this uh, ecosystem. We connect everything together and allowing DMC to connect it even better to the DeFi chain to to the Ethereum side and allowing more liquidity to flow in and out uh, into the system and also tying nicely with Launchpad as well. So all this is going to be really awesome. Cool. Yep. Thanks. You know that Q4 is already running, yeah? So <laughs> it's, it's a matter oh, yes. of weeks and not <laughs> months <laughs> left. Cool. Thanks. Um, there are no additional questions in the chat. And today it was a really long uh, Tech Talk version, but uh, a lot of things to present from your side. I would say thank you for joining this show, presenting us what you are working on. I think it's a, a great format yeah, to show the community what's 
um, yeah, done behind the scenes. We are currently looking on the now and you are on uh, working on the future. So a lot of things are coming and DeFi MetaChain will be a great thing on DeFi Chain. Yuning was really hyped during the presentation and we should take this part uh, with all of us and looking forward to DeFi MetaChain. So thanks for the show and coming on stage presenting your work. Then see you next Tech Talk. Uh, we have to schedule it, it's not planned yet. Um, uh, we will announce it on all the channels. Um, maybe then with some more details about uh, Launchpad, Launchpool, um, Accelerator program and so on. Cool, then see you soon. Have a nice time. Bye bye.